Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 have a plan for your life. You've set goals. You know where you want to go. Congratulations on finding Star Style. Be the star you are. Our vibrant hosts, passion, purpose, and possibility producer Cynthia Bryan and her energetic daughter, healthy living specialist Heather Brittany, share the best roads, fastest detours, and successful strategies for a life worth living. Reach your potential with their personal achievement coaching, miracle moments, inspiring guests, titillating interviews, and business bites. Be introduced to new books and innovative ideas that encourage you to live a positive, sustainable lifestyle while achieving your dreams. Ignite your power, make a difference in the world, and shoot for the stars. It's the power hour of living, loving, laughing, and learning. On Star Style, be the star you are. Lend us your ears. The party starts now. Never say never. Ho, 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 ho. And a jolly holly holiday to you. The sleigh bells are ringing. And Rudolph is practicing his rooftop prance as we welcome you to our Power Hour. Hello, Power Partners. Welcome to Star Style, be the star you are holiday show. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And you're listening to us on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This is going to be a fun show today as we usher in the Christmas season. The Miracle Moment is brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. Make sure to make a donation before the end of the year. It's good for you. It's good for your taxes. And, of course, it'll help the charity. And this is from Norman Vincent Peel. Christmas waves a magic wand over this world, and behold, everything is softer and more beautiful. And you can make a donation at bethestarur.org. Well, today's program celebrates the holidays and its filling stockings of Christmas cheer. You are going to enjoy three beautiful Christmas carols, which you can download for free, from British recording star Jolene, as well as two from our very own be the Star You Are volunteer Jennifer Lee. And each of these shows, these songs will be played in between our breaks. So make sure you tune in. And Heather and I are planning to reminisce about some of our favorite holiday traditions and also give you the backstory and history some from some of these kind of fun rituals. So whether you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, This time of year is all about family, friends, living, and giving. So grab a glass of eggnog and enjoy our holiday special. And, oh, a quick reminder, just for until the end of the year, we have our special book sale going on. You can buy either Be The Star You Are, Be The Star You Are for Teens, or The Business of Show Business at more than 55% off right now at our store. And you can get personalized inscriptions. Go to starstyleradio.net or .com 
and click on store. So who can resist the enticing aromas of gingerbread cooking in the oven or cinnamon flavored apple cider or hot mulled wine on the stove? It is Christmas time and it's time for Heather and I to start our T42 talk. So Heather, what is your favorite thing about this holiday season? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, speaking in general for our personal only uh, celebrations, and I think in, as an overall in general, what I really love about holiday stuff, I think, you know, oftentimes it can become really commercialized and more and more, you know, we see people frantically trying to buy gifts, and it's always kind of seems like this is more of a stressful than an enjoyment time. We've kind of slowly gotten away from those things, so hopefully we can slowly get back to it being more just about quality time and spending time with people and the moments, um, not exactly the items that are shared. But for me personally, uh, personally growing up, um, as you probably know, are Christmas Eve and Christmas Day traditions. And one of my favorite things is that on Christmas Eve, we usually always do um, sort of a, a very non-traditional Christmas Eve kind of dinner uh, that we would do a big seafood thing. And as my brother got older and had you know driving and and he was working at various stations, um, he, that you know going out actually out to the bay to get these crabs and lobsters, and we have this big feed. And then we stayed home and we would watch all these old home videos. Um, now, which you know VHS, people remember those. Now they've been all been put on to DVDs and whatnot. But it's hilarious. And boy, that was a lot of work putting them onto DVDs. I hope DVDs don't go away anytime too soon. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but it's so funny, you know. And that's something that we still um, one of. I mean, there's so many things we've done over here, but that is one of the the lasting things that stays. Sometimes the meal changes based on where we've been, but um, this watching of the old movies never changes. And it's always so funny. And it the you know the great thing thanks to you that you took probably thousands of hours of videos, and I think many parents can relate to that, that when your kid uh, is a kid, when you have children, that uh, you just think they are the most hilarious and adorable and funny thing, and you think you need to capture every single moment of it. Um, and though at the time, sometimes it can seem like, oh, why are you recording this? As an adult watching these things, it is so funny, the things that come out of your mouth and the you know, it, it, and, you know, you look, just look back, you see the clothes, the hairstyles, um, you know, people that, you know, that uh, a, a nice thing, too, is many, seeing sometimes relatives that have passed away that uh, make these appearances in these videos. Yeah. Um, it really does kind of bring that, that sweet memory, and especially the ones when we watch of, of Christmas. It, it, these things that a lot of times we remember just certain things in our life. There's been so many moments um, that our brains, um, that, you know, this is I don't know, a scientific thing, our brains actually slowly remove um, sort of unnecessary facts, things, there's certain things that will always stay with us, that the actual image and memory of those, you know, mutate over time. But there's so many of these little moments that we forget. And when we watch these things, uh, sometimes these things just come flooding back to us. And it's, oh, my goodness, I, you know, I forgot about that such a person. So that's uh, something that I feel like always has that sweet connection to me. And I feel it's wonderful because we've really we've carried that on now for, I don't know, you know, almost 30 years. So Well, I think uh, what's really funny about that is, uh, is the fact that when you said that we had so many different videos, it's just so true because... For some reason, I was that parent that I was not trying to take videos of all your 
winning moments. I took videos of everything, of things yeah. that were goofy and silly and, you know, to me, funny and just everyday kid things. And those are, those are what are so special as we grow older. As we know in speaking with like your husband or um, Justin's wife's family, they only took videos of them like winning you know, ski competitions or when they were doing something spectacular. And those yeah. videos are really boring to watch. <laughs> but, but, you know, you watch, you watch a kid just being a kid and you can't help but laugh because all of us have those experiences, but they're just not all recorded. So, you know, that's really a, something that's very fun of a, a, a Christmas, you know, or a family tradition. And, of yeah. course, we also did it this year at Thanksgiving and watched you prancing around your bedroom, giving us a tour of all your Barbies and I your little know. ponies. And that was pretty funny, too. <laughs> well, you know something, too, you said, you know, speaking of tradition and of stuff that's different in every family. You know, I have friends that, you know, their, their big thing is they really celebrate more on Christmas Eve is when they open presents or, you know, they kind of celebrate it more on that, and, you know, for... For us, you know, it, I don't know. For us, it kind of becomes a, a whole week of partying. But um, in my, for my husband's family, I have yet um, to be present at this uh, thing. But they do this Christmas pickle tradition. And the funny thing about it, and it's sort of this kind of infamous thing, um, that this Christmas uh, pickle. And when I heard of what they did, I was this kind of thing that his mom, she would hide. It used to be just one, um, and now they're not actual ones. They're like glass ornaments, so you don't have to worry about not finding one of the pickles. Um, these glass ornament pickles around the house, and it used to be just one, and whoever found it, you know, would win a, a gift, like a $50 gift card. Thing. And then, slowly, you know, because then, you know, kids would start feeling left out. She started doing it. There was enough for everyone, but there would be, you know, the, I guess, I forget if they were by size or who would find the first one. And so there really was a gift for everything, but maybe, you know, the gift card would be $100 and the last one would be $10 or something. And when I first heard about this, I thought it was the strangest, funniest thing that they kind of go on this crazy scavenger hunt, which I will get into our scavenger hunt in a second. Um, and a lot of times, and he had told me, oh, it's this old um, German uh, German tradition, and now his family is not German at all. And you know, he's like, I don't, you know, I don't really know how, where, how, or why my mom did it. You know, one of those things that growing up, you just sort of you do it. You don't really ever like. I don't remember why we started doing it. So I wanted to research it more, and I was trying to find and um, and actually, the funny thing that I found that it said that uh, in the late. 1800s, um, there was this glass ornament company um, from Germany that would make all these various uh, shape of vegetables for, you know, tree ornaments. So there would be pears and apples. And the unlikely favorite turned out to be the, this pickle. I don't know if it was funny or <laughs> what, but, but um, you know, so around that same time, you know, this, this Christmas old tradition, they kind of got uh, this thing, this name attached to it, but really the only vision of it was hanging these ornaments um, that were in the shape of, of uh, vegetables and fruit. And, uh, you know, looking at this, that not many people, um, I read this article, that not many people have actually heard of this game that they play. And it's really become more of an American thing that's gotten brought over. There's been stories linked to St. Nicholas, um, you know, and uh, some Spanish things about hiding, you know, that, that's just the hiding of the gift. But uh, no one really knows exactly how it became this thing, and I think everyone sort of creates their own tradition on it. 
Um, but I, I always thought that maybe that was just something his family had made up. And I actually have had other friends say, oh, yeah, we'd play the, the Christmas pickle game too. And, and you can go online and there's a whole, a whole, uh, industry of funny, you know, order, pickle ornaments. Um, well, you know what's so tradition. funny that you say that it originated in Germany is how many of our Christmas traditions did come back, come from Germany. There were a lot of things that were European, but, you know, for example, candy canes. There, it is said that during the 17th century, craftsmen created white sticks of candy in the shape of a shepherd's crook, which is like a candy mm, cane. And it was very the, interesting. Yeah, it was at the suggestion of a German choir master at the Cologne Cathedral, you know, in Germany. So, you know, I think that it's, and a lot of things I'm going to talk about later, the um, history of Christmas trees and decorating Christmas trees, which also started in well, Germany. So and that's you know, interesting. And so interesting, two things that I want to touch on is, one, you know, the colors of Christmas. Um, you know, lots of, you know, we associate red and green, really red and green and, and gold and silver, these certain colors that can be very faux pas if you put together some other time of year. People will say that your outfit looks really Christmassy. Um, but, uh, you know, what do right, you really right, represent? Right. And most of these colors, you know, come from European traditions and customs. Um, and one thing to think of is that, you know, in the wintertime, it's dark and it's cold. So green represents evergreen, you know, holly, ivy, mistletoe, things that, um, you know, we use now as, as decorative things but are most prevalent. Those are plants that, uh, as, as you know, as a gardener, many things die in the winter, dark and brown, but there are certain plants that, and certain things that fry, thrive year-long, and especially, you know, especially trees, um, or especially in the wintertime. And actually, in Roman culture, um, they used to actually exchange uh, evergreen branches during January as a sign of good luck. You know, when someone says, let's get this evergreen. Um, and I think red is mentioned um, is that, you know, to represent uh, the apples, uh, the apples from paradise, paradise lost, getting back into more of um, Adam's and Eve's thing. And that's actually one big that's thing I tell people many times forget is this whole thing uh, with Christmas, whether you know you're religious or not, is that really coming from it being a religious place? Christ must, you know, this Jesus Christ going to church, representing you know the birth of Christ. Um, you know, I so saw many people over years that you know this whole creation of Santa Claus and giving gifts. The gifts, what they were supposed to really represent, is one of the main reasons why um, we give gifts during Christmas is to remind us of the three of the gifts that um, the three wise kings brought. And that's actually another tradition we celebrate, three wise kings. I swear it must only be Italian thing because only my Italian friends know about it. Uh, but, <laughs> well, we celebrate but it 12 is, days after Christmas on exactly. the Epiphany. And, you know, the 12 days of Christmas. How ironic is that? Um, but uh, the three things were frankincense, uh, gold, and myrrh. And frankincense was a perfume um, actually used uh, for Jewish worship, and that was to show that, you you know, Jesus was a, a, was a gift, you know, for people to come and worship Jesus. The gold was to associate um, the kings and Christmas, and basically saying that Jesus is the king of kings. Um, you know, interesting that these were, this, they were three very wise men. And then um, mirth, and mirth was a perfume, actually, that was used to put on dead bodies back at that time, um, so they wouldn't Right, it was to help them embalm them and, and make exactly. them not smell. Exactly, I mean, what a wonderful <laughs> gift for someone, that's like someone giving you, um, like, how do I buy 
got you a um, you know grave plot or a tombstone. Yeah, I was going to say, you your, know, oh, look at you, you have a new baby. You. Here's a tombstone. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. Oh, the, thank you, thank you. Um, and that was you know, and that was also the show that um, Jesus would suffer and that Jesus would die, and then you know all of the things that that. But we've gone on you know to give gifts to other people, and I think you know it is. Uh, such a wonderful, wonderful time in the essence of, I, I think, now as we've gotten older, we've sort of strayed away from these needs and wanting the gifts. Um, it's about more spending time with family because, you know, we're living in all parts of the state for us, and it's so hard to get together, and that time is, that time is so special. That time really is a gift for me, I feel. And, and I feel, um, especially for myself as I grow older, my husband and I, we actually said this year, especially after having a wedding, you get every gift possible and and when you live in a, in a smaller house to start off with you start realizing you have so much stuff so much stuff you don't even use you don't even need and so much clothes so many things and i just think of you know that i much rather spend that that time right with you know with people that i care about um and you know what else moments. is really important heather uh, you know because i've we've been here at be the star you are we've been packing packages to give to children's hospital and toys for tots and the fire departments and and uh, to underprivileged kids. And we just last week did uh, letters to Santa with all these different kids. Everything was free. And you realize this is a time for giving and sharing and helping other people who don't have as much as you have. So whether you're giving food or clothing or a gift pack or a book or, or making a donation to a charity, it feels so good to give to somebody else. Oh, you know, I mean, that's an important thing. And you know what? And um, and I, I feel like, you know, for me, I love giving and making little homemade things as well as, you know, there is, it is also really fun when you do find some. My bad thing is I'm always find, you know, my husband does the same thing. When we, you see something that you think, oh my God, so-and-so would love that. It's usually some random time of the year and I don't have the patience um, to save something until Christmas. So I'm always the queen of giving someone something for no reason, which seems great at the time because um, I just, you know, I saw this, I made me think of you. But then when Christmas comes, I always feel like, oh no, I have no idea what I'm going to get that. But that's also such a, a wonderful thing that is that surprise of receiving something. Today, when I went to teach, uh, a student had got me a gift and something that was so nice, so unexpected, and I was so touched. Um, and I just, I was so surprised to thought, oh my God, it was just such a nice gift and so thoughtful. And, you know, it's, and you know, it, it, it is, it's so so good it is, and I it's always the thought. And, I think the thought that counts. I know yeah, and, several of you know, my students really usually feel, get me something that has a star on it. And yeah, whether and, it's something teeny tiny or it's bigger, everything is displayed in my office. Or if it's jewelry, I wear it, you know, whether it's plastic or whatever. And every, it's really the thought that somebody was thinking about you and, you know, it reminded of you, of you. Well, of course, it's time for us to go to break, and we're going to be listening to Jennifer Lee's rendition of Santa Baby. So, Heather, we're going to have a fabulous Merry, Merry, Holly, Jolly Christmas, and uh, we hope that all of our listeners will, too. Will you uh, give out the websites and just wind up your segment? 
Most definitely. We want you to go to BeTheStarYouAre.com as well as BeTheStarYouAre.org. You can find out more about the charity and just as Cynthia mentioned about right now about donating to various charities with our book packages. And it can also be a tax um, write-off for your coming to the end of the year um, is your last chance to get in these last things. So you'll be doing something great for someone else this holiday, but you'll also be helping yourself when it comes to tax time in the new year. So have a happy and safe holiday, whatever you may be celebrating, and remember to think of others this uh, this coming holiday. Oh, and you said it so well. Well, as the bells start ringing, we're going to go to break, but this whole show is about the holidays, and I have a lot of history coming up. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. Well, Santa's sleigh is starting to go down on the break, so we'll be right back. Tune in right now to Santa Baby. Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. Been an awful good girl, Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa baby, a 54 convertible to light blue. I'll wait up for you, dear Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Think of all the fun I've missed Think of all the fellas that I haven't kissed Next year I could be just as good If you'll check off my Christmas list Santa baby Be the star you are Light up the flame that burns Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be The Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. BeTheStarYouAre.org. Be the lucky star you Plug in your headphones and tune in to enlightening interviews with acclaimed authors and success experts as our Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, gabs with the gurus. Lend us your ears for the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, here's Cynthia Bryan. Find all you need in a Well, dancer and prancer, along with Rudolph, are doing all their practicing on the rooftops right now, getting ready for that big, big night ahead. Well, you know, it wasn't long after Europeans began using Christmas trees that special decorations were gathered to adorn them. First of all, it was food items. Heather was talking about it, you know, with the apples. There were candies and cookies 
And then there were a lot of those white candy sticks that, as I said, were uh, shaped in the form of a shepherd's crook uh, that were made originally in Germany. The candy treats were given to children to keep them quiet during the ceremony at the living crash or the nativity scene that was usually the custom at most of the churches where there would be people enacting the nativity scene and they wanted to keep the kids quiet. Now, according to the National Confectioners Association in 1847, here we go again, another German immigrant, August Imgard, used that candy cane to decorate a Christmas tree in Ohio. And then more than 50 years later, Bob McCormick of Albany, Georgia, of Georgia suggested making candy canes as treats for family, friends, and shopkeepers. And then his brother-in-law was a Catholic priest named Gregory Keller, and he invented a machine in the 1950s that automated the production of candy canes. And then that eliminated that, you know, really laborious process of creating the treats. And that's when the popularity of candy canes grew. So the more recent explanation of the candy cane symbolism hold that the color white represents Christ's purity. The red is the blood that he shed. And the presence of the three red stripes is the Holy Trinity, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And while factual evidence for these notes really doesn't exist, this is what has become common and at times even represented as fact. But regardless of what you believe, the candy cane, it remains a favorite holiday treat and a really special decoration. I mean, what would Christmas be without it? Well, here are some other things that we wouldn't even think of Christmas unless we had it. What about Christmas cards? A form of the Christmas card began in England, and that was first when young boys practiced writing their skills by creating Christmas greetings for their parents. It was Sir Henry Cole who is credited with creating the first real Christmas card. But the first director of London's Victoria and Albert Museum, Sir Henry, found himself too busy in the Christmas season of 1843 to compose individual Christmas greetings for his friends. So instead, he commissioned an artist, John Calcutt Horsley, to do an illustration. The card featured three panels. The center panel depicted a family enjoying Christmas festivities. The card was inscribed with the message, A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. And that's how the cards began. Now, what about good old Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Probably one of the favorite songs of all times. Well, it wasn't always that way. The Chicago-based Montgomery Ward Company was a department store, and it had been purchasing and distributing children's coloring books as Christmas gifts to give out to their customers for many, many years. And then in 1939, Montgomery Ward tapped one of his own employees to create a book for Montgomery Ward, and thus it was going to save some money. So there was this 34-year-old copywriter, his name was Robert May, and he wrote a story called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in 1939. 2.4 million copies were handed out that year. Now, wow, as a writer, I would love somebody to tap me on the shoulder and say, would you write a book for our store that we can hand out at the holidays? And then they buy 2.4 million copies. Well, despite the wartime paper shortage in 1939, 6 million copies of that book were distributed by 1946. And he kind of, you know, where did that story come from? He drew a little bit from the Ugly Duckling, and part from his own experiences as a child because he was taunted, he was very small, and he was frail, so he was bullied a lot. So he created the story of a misfit reindeer. 
And at first, Rolio and Reginald were considered as the name. And then finally, he settled on Rudolph as the, the reindeer's name. Now, he wrote it in verse in a series of rhyming couplets. And he tested the story as he went along on his four-year-old daughter. And she just loved the story. Now, sadly, Robert Mays died around the time that he was creating uh, Rudolph, leaving Mays, uh, uh, May didn't die, his wife died, uh, leaving him really in debt due to the medical bills. But he was able to persuade Sewell Avery, a corporate president of Montgomery Ward, to turn the copyright over to him in 1947. And that is really what saved his financial security because May's story, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, was printed commercially in 1947, and in 1948, a nine-minute cartoon of the story was shown in theaters. And then May's brother-in-law, who was a songwriter, John Marks, wrote the lyrics and the melody and started singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's how Rudolph's phenomena was born. Uh, it was turned down by many musical artists because they were afraid to contend with the legend of Santa Claus. So guess who recorded this song? One of my favorites as a kid, because he was a cowboy singer, Gene Autry. In 1949, at the urging of his wife, he decided to record the song. And it sold over 2 million copies in one year. And it went on to be the best-selling song of all time, second only to Bing Crosby's White Christmas. Then there was a 1964 television special about Rudolph that was narrated by the actor Burl Ives, and it remains a holiday favorite to this day. So Rudolph has really become a much-loved Christmas icon. So it's so fun to think about all these different things that happen at Christmas. Now, here's some more Christmas trivia for you because it's on this celebration throughout these holidays, it's just really fun to know what is the backstory. Now, where does, you know, Christus Mace come from, the meaning, the mass of Christ? It's from the Old English. And it's the story of Christmas begins with the birth of a babe in Bethlehem. Now, it is believed that Christ was born on the 25th, although nobody really knows what month Christ was born in. December was likely chosen so that the Catholic Church could compete with the rival pagan ritual, you know, uh, the winter solstice, which was held at that time of year because of the closeness to it in the Northern Hemisphere. So this became a traditional time of celebration among many cultures. Now, what about Santa Claus? Santa Claus began in the 4th century with St. Nicholas. Now, St. Nicholas was a bishop of Myra. It's an area in uh, what would be today Turkey. And by all accounts, St. Nicholas was a very generous man, and he was particularly devoted to kids. Now, after his death around 340 A.D., he was buried in Myra, but in 1087, Italian sailors purportedly stole his remains and moved them to Bari, Italy, greatly, greatly increasing St. Nicholas's popularity throughout Europe. Now, his kindness and reputation for giving gave rise to the claims that he could perform miracles, and a devotion to him started to increase. He became the patron saint of Russia where he was known by his red cape, his flowing white beard, and his bishop's mitre. And in Greece, he's the patron saint of sailors. In France, he's the patron saint of lawyers. And in Belgium, he's the patron saint of children and of travelers. Now, thousands of churches across Europe were dedicated to him. And sometime around the 12th century, an official, official church holiday was created in his honor. 
The Feast of St. Nicholas was celebrated December 6th, and the day was marked by gift-giving and charity. I know when I lived in Holland, they call it Sinterklaas, and we celebrated. That was even bigger than Christmas, and that was the day that you gave gifts. Now, after the Reformation, Europeans' followers of St. Nicholas, you know, they started dwindling. But the legend was kept alive in Holland, where I spent time, because the Dutch spelling of his name, St. Nicholas, was eventually transformed to Sinterklaas. And then Dutch children would leave their wooden shoes by the fireplace, and Sinterklaas would reward good children by placing treats in their shoes. And then when the Dutch colonists came to America in the 17th century, they changed the name to the Anglican name of Santa Claus. So that's how they named Santa Claus. It came from Sinterklaas. So St. Nicholas became Sinterklaas, became Santa Claus. And in 1822, Clement C. Moore composed the poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas. And it was published as The Night Before Christmas. And he originally made it as a gift for his children. And in it, he portrayed Santa Claus as having a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf. And I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head and soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. I mean, I remember as a child literally knowing every word to the night before Christmas and just in my mind's imagination could just see Santa and his reindeer flying through the sky. Now, other countries actually have different gift bearers for Christmas or the Advent season, you know, from La Belfana in Italy to the Three Kings in Spain and Puerto Rico in Mexico to the Chris Kindle or the Christ Child in Switzerland and Austria, Father Christmas, of course, in England, Pierre Noel in France. And, it, you know, it goes on like that. But no matter what, the figure of Santa Claus as a jolly, benevolent, plump man in a red uh, suit described in Moore's poem remains with us today and is recognized by children and adults alike all around the world. Now, the, there's a lot of variations of Christmas traditions of, in the United States as well as around the world. And, of course, we just shared, uh, Heather shared with you, one that we created in our family of watching old uh, movies and videos of the kids, which we really find really fun. And sometimes, you know, families have special foods that they eat that night or they go to church or they'll go to midnight mass or or they'll go to carol singing. And all those things are things we've done throughout the years. And it's fun. We've been in parades and had animal parades. But cultural contribu- uh, you know, contributions were given a new lease on life by many creative artists and authors and poets and songwriters. And this is why in America and the world, the universal Christmas image is actually probably one we get from the media. But celebrations are particular to every region. Now, what about Christmas stockings? Have you ever wondered how that happened? Well, according to legend, there was a kindly nobleman who grew despondent over the death of his wife, and he squandered away his fortune. And this left his three young daughters without any dowries, and that would meant they were going to face a life of spinsterhood. So St. Nicholas, he was so generous, remember, he heard of the girl's plight and he set forth to help. Now, he wanted to remain anonymous, so he rode his white horse by the nobleman's house and he threw three small pouches of gold coins down the chimney where they were fortuitously captured 
by the stockings that the young woman had hung by the fireplace to dry. (laughs) So that is how we got stockings. So these girls had actual, their, their personal stockings drying by the fireplace. And that's why we hang stockings today in the hopes that a few coins will be tossed down ours. Now, what about mistletoe? It was used by the Druids um, 200 years before the birth of Christ. So this, this was definitely a pagan ritual, and it goes back a very, very long time, and it was used in their winter celebrations. Now, they revered the plant since it had no roots, but it remained green during the cold months of winter. That was that evergreen. The ancient uh, Celtics believed that mistletoe had magical healing powers, and they used it as an antidote for poison, infertility, and to ward off evil spirits. Now, the plant was also seen as a symbol of peace, and it is said that among Romans, enemies who met under mistletoe would lay down their weapons and embrace. And, you know, would we say embrace? Now, of course, we kiss under the mistletoe. Scandinavians associated mistletoe with Frigga, that was the goddess of love, and it may be from this that we had got the custom, the custom of kissing, or it could have been just the embracing from the Romans. But those who kissed under the mistletoe had the promise of happiness and good luck in the following year. Now, holly, holly jolly, ivy, and greens. In Northern Europe, Christmas occurred during the middle of winter. I mean, and it really is cold in Europe in the winter. And that's when the ghosts and the demons could be howling in the winter winds. So boughs of holly believed to have magical powers since they remained green through the harsh winter were often placed over the doors of homes to drive the evil away. Now greenery was also brought indoors to freshen the air and brighten the mood during the long dreary winter. Now legend has it that the holly sprang from the footsteps of Christ as he walked the earth. The pointed leaves were said to represent the crown of thorns that Christ wore while on the cross, and the red berries symbolize the blood he shed. And as you can see, so many of these things always come back to the Christ child and finding a meaning in that. Now, one last thing before we go to break were the poinsettias. They were named after Joel Poinsett, who was a U.S. ambassador to Mexico, And he brought the plant to America in 1828. Now, they were most likely used by the Mexican Franciscan missionaries in their 17th century Christmas celebration. And you hear that again. The 17th century was just a really big time for Christmas to evolve into the customs that it is today. So one legend has it that a young Mexican boy, on his way to visit the village nativity scene, realized that he didn't have a gift to give the Christ child. So he just gathered some pretty green branches from along the road, and he brought them to the church. And though the other children laughed at him, and when they laid the leaves on the manger, a beautiful star-shaped flower appeared on each branch, and they were a bright red petal, often mistaken for flowers. They're really just the upper leaves of the plants. So the exciting part was is though he was mocked or bullied for his gift, it turned out that it became a symbol of Christmas uh, throughout the United States. And so uh, when we're thinking of Christmas, we usually think of all of these different wonderful traditions 
Now, it's Hanukkah time, too, and Hanukkah commences on the 25th day of the Hebrew month, Kislev. Hanukkah is a Jewish holiday commemorating the rededication of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem after its uh, desecration by the Syrians. And it happened in uh, 168 B.C. when members of the Jewish family, the Maccabee, they led a revolt against the Greek Syrians due to the policies of the Syrian king, Antiochus IV, which were aimed at nullifying the Jewish faith. And part of the strategy included changing a, uh, the holy temple in Jerusalem to a Greek temple complete with idolatry. Well, led by Judah Maccabee, the Jews won, over the vict- won the victory over the Syrians in 165 B.C., and they reclaimed their temple. And after cleansing the temple and preparing for the rededication, it was found that there was not enough oil to light the lamp, an oil lamp that is present in Jewish houses of worship, which represents eternal light. So once lit, the lamp should never be extinguished. So a search of the temple produced a small vial of undefiled oil, enough for only one day. But miraculously, the temple lights burned for another eight days until a new supply of oil was brought. So in remembrance of this miracle, one candle of the menorah, which is an eight-branch candelabra, is lit each of the eight days of Hanukkah. And Hanukkah means dedication. It's a Hebrew word when translated is commonly spelled, you know, Hanukkah with an H or with a CH, but it doesn't really matter. It's the custom. So the custom of receiving gifts on each of the eight days of Hanukkah is fairly rare, you know, it's fairly new, but it's due in part because it's so close to Christmas. So no matter what you're celebrating, we hope you are having a wonderful Hanukkah or a fabulous uh, Christmas season. And now as we go to break, you get to be entertained by our next Christmas song, again by Jennifer Lee, and it's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Enjoy.
This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Be the star you are, you are the star. Pump up your energy and jumpstart your dreams with positive, life-changing interviews and star-studded conversations on our award-winning program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, hosted by the passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. Find all you need in Oh, well, here comes Rudolph again and all his prancing reindeer. Well, we are celebrating the holiday season, and we're talking about the different backstories of the many different traditions, whether it be Hanukkah or Christmas. I haven't spoken about Kwanzaa yet, so I'm going to give you a little bit of information about Kwanzaa. And this is a holiday I don't really know a whole lot about, but I find that it is interesting that people are interested in it. And Kwanzaa was started by a Dr. Milana Karenga, a professor at California State University in right here in Long Beach, California. And it was uh, it's a new holiday created in 1966. It is celebrated by millions of African Americans around the world, and it encourages them to remember their African heritage and to consider their current place in America today. It is actually celebrated after Christmas, so it starts on December 26th, and it goes into January 1st, and it involves seven principles called Nugozo Saba, and that is the principles are unity, self-determination, collective work and responsibility, cooperative economics, purpose, creativity, and faith. And in the Kwanzaa ritual, seven candles are called Mishuma Saba. They're placed at a kinara, which is a candle holder, and that is set on a mat, usually made of straw. And then three green candles are placed on the left, three green candles on the right, and on the right end um, is a black candle in the center, and each candle represents one of the seven principles of the celebration. Now, one candle is lit each day of the Kwanzaa celebration, as I said, starting December 26th and going through January 1st, and it, they, you light them from left to right, and the colors of Kwanzaa are black, red, and green, and they also have a special significance because black symbolizes the faces of the African nation. Red symbolizes the blood that they have shed. And green is the hope and the color of the motherland. So the name itself, Kwanzaa, is from a Swahili word meaning fruits of the harvest. So that's another beautiful celebration and a very recent new one that people uh, here in America, specifically Africans, Americans, are celebrating. Well, I want to remind you once again that as our gift to you, we have a special uh, holiday sale of book sales. You can buy Be The Star You Are, Be The Star You Are for Teens, or The Business of Show Business through our store at starstyleradio.net. You can get personal inscriptions. You can buy multiples. You can buy a case. And they are at 50 per, 55% discount, which we'll, we haven't ever done it a, a before, and we won't be doing it again. So go to starstyleradio.net. 
and click on store. And then I also just want to remind you this is the season of giving. And so it's a wonderful time to make sure to give a donation to your favorite charity. And we hope that you'll want to give to Be the Star You Are. Be the Star You Are, gratefully, we're very grateful to the Moraga Chamber of Commerce. We were chosen as their charity. We just did a Letters for Santa and a holiday festivity for little kids, everything free, giving them crafts and cookies and candy and hot cocoa and a a time to have fun with Santa for, you know, if they really didn't have anything else. And we're in the process of shipping books um, to Toys for Tots, children's hospitals, giving them to fire departments and schools. So you could go to bethestarur.org and make your donation today. So I'm saving one of the best for last, and we call it O Tannenbaum, O Tannenbaum. You might know that German song. Andy Rooney said, Christmas trees come very close to exceeding nature. And I think that everyone who enjoys Christmas really has to agree. There is just nothing better than a Christmas tree. Now, when my children were youngsters, cutting a tree was the big event of the season. We would put on our Santa hats. We'd grab a bundle of rope to tie to the tree to the, so that we could tie the tree to the top of the car. We'd put film in the camera. Yes, those are in the days when you actually had to buy film and put it in a camera and roll it. And off we'd go, and we'd be singing Christmas carols, and we would be plotting this great adventure. And it could take hours walking through a Christmas tree farm, checking out tree after tree, debating the merits of each. Sometimes we'd even visit two or three farms before we would find that perfect one. And afterwards at home with our freshly cut treasure, we would light a fire, we would drink hot cocoa and eggnog, we'd eat homemade persimmon pudding and Italian panettone, and we put on the Christmas music and we'd dance around the house as we spruced the fur with popcorn and cranberry strings and homemade ornaments and tinsel and, of course, plenty of tinkling lights. Well, one year, my son had the bright idea that we should grow our own Christmas trees in order to have a never-ending supply of Yuletide enchantment. So with the best planting season for evergreens being between January and March, as soon as the small containers of conifers went on sale for a dollar post-holiday, we nabbed 20 for our forthcoming Christmas tree farm. We chose a prime spot at the top of our hill. We prepared the plot. We cleared the weeds. We planted the ceilings. We, we protected them from wire, you know, with wire from the marauding munchers, you know, the deer or the rabbits. And we maintained those soil moisture, and then we waited. Now, the kids were really attentive to their trees. By year three, pruning and shaping the trees into conical forms began. I mean, who knew that Christmas trees didn't automatically grow into perfect Christmas triangles? <laughs> By year seven the kids were able to cut their first glorious, very imperfect. It was, it was like a, a, a Snoopy tree. <laughs> and by year 13, all of the trunks had actually gotten too large to be in any tree holder. So instead of cutting another tree, we decided to finally pot a large Norfolk pine. We added it to our entrance where this oxygen-producing carbon dioxide absorber has served as our beloved Arbre de Noel <laughs> ever since. But what is the history or legend or a combination of the two behind the Christmas tree? Well, actually, the tales go back to 16th century. Here we go again to the same country, Germans. 
that they brought evergreens into their homes as holiday decor after the Protestant reformer Martin Luther witnessed the stars sparkling through the forest trees and he cut a tree to enjoy indoor. Then in 2014, trees, of course, are significant to American culture. They're, they're probably, when we think of Christmas trees, we also think of pumpkin pies or apple pies. But it really wasn't until 1848 that the puritanical Americans embraced the idea of the pagan ritual of a Christmas tree. And it was the ever-popular Queen Victoria and the German Prince Albert. And the reason it became popular is those two were sketched with their children gathered around a very beautiful decorated Christmas tree. And the East Coast society that was very snobbery and they wanted to do everything just like the king and queen, like royalty, they adopted this new fashionable trend. Then Courier and Ives jumped on the bucolic family festivity bandwagon, and they immortalized the vintage America in historic lithographs of cozy Christmas scenes, including sleigh rides, crackling fires, candlelit chapels, snowmen, and tree decorating. Yet the love of winter evergreens was really celebrated long before the arrival of Christianity. In ancient Egypt, it was the sun god Ra was honored on the longest night of the year, December 21st, which is also the shortest day, December 22nd, with palm frond decorations to symbolize life over death. Now, the Romans marked the winter solstice with evergreen boughs in anticipation of a prosperous spring, and the Druids used greens as symbols of eternal life. The Vikings believed that the evergreens were the chosen trees of their sun god, Balder. Then the advent of electricity, woohoo, Thomas Edison, he presented the possibility of a twinkling tree without the fire danger because they used to tie candles to the branches. Now that does sound really dangerous. So Europeans preferred small trees, usually four feet or smaller, where Americans, we love trees to reach the ceiling. Decorations in the early days included strands of nuts, berries, apples, and popcorn, but today, you could spend a fortune on accessories and unusual ornaments fit for a king, from hand-carved nativity scenes to, you know, hand-blown glass ornaments. Now, when to buy, cut, or trim the tree vary from country to country. In America, families, sometimes they get into the spirit immediately following Thanksgiving, while Europeans tend to wait to Christmas Eve to launch their rituals. So whether it's ever the green garlands, boughs, ivy, mistletoe, wreaths, poinsettias, all the holly, it all joins in enticing uh, kitchen aromas, which we use as gingerbread and marzipan and heart, hot mulled wine. And that's what makes our Christmas castles merry and bright. So we hope that you will banish the blues with the greens of a pine, a fir, a spruce, a redwood, a cedar, a cypress. And you'll be warded with the fresh fragrance of the wild woods for Christmas, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa. Remember to keep your cut tree watered as most farm trees are chopped down in October or early November and trucked to the retailer. And although they don't dry out outdoors, indoors, you're going to have to feed them a quart to a gallon of water a day. So this year, whether your tree was grown on a plantation or in your backyard, Bring the botanical brilliance of a live tree into your seasonal festivities and celebrate the magic. Because yes, oh Christmas tree, oh Christmas tree, your branches green delight us. So I wish you a seasonal sparkle, glow forth, and enjoy being 
home for the holidays with friends and family. It's like, fa la 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 la. Thanks for being great listeners and allowing me uh, into your life every week. Heather and I love being your personal growth success coaches and giving you some advice uh, for fun and success and also ideas from around the world. For more information about Star Style Productions, visit star-style.com. Please do make a donation to Be The Star You Are charity empowering women, families, and youth. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org or BTSYA.com. Check out our teen show, Express Yourself, TeenRadio.com, which is on our Voice America Kids. My aim is always to inspire, encourage, inform, amuse, and motivate. So read a book this week. And until next week when we will celebrate again, remember a love always wins, kindness prevails, and smiles keep us happy. I'm Cynthia Bryan, and I'm wishing you a wonderful week of dreaming, creating, inspiring, making a difference. Have yourself a very Merry Christmas, and I leave you with this special gift of Silent Night, because remember, this is the reason for the season, and this is from Jolene. And to all, a good night. Thanks for joining me. Enjoy Silent Night. 